You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, you know, and, and then on a day where it wouldn't be Sully, you know, then we go through our normal directing of like, all right, we're going to go meet with Shannon. What's going on with Shannon today? Oh, Shannon's performing surgery on a fish. He's what? So then, you know, like what is that's not even far fetched. <laughs> that's, that's so believable. Like, <laughs> it's absolutely the truth. Hey, guys, this is Betty Goodman and you're listening to 2020. I'm here with my cohorts. Cohorts, co- comrades, cohorts. <laughs> Are you feeling loved today, Corey and Siobhan? Feeling confused as usual. As usual. Confused yeah. by my enunciation. Right, well, before you totally derail yes. our intro, before anyone even listens, don't forget to subscribe. Like I've said always, two zero two zero com. And we're super pumped to have back for part two our friend Jim Foster. Um, the creative director for Red 13 Studios, music video director, director of reality TV. He shot Godsmack for a month. That sounded crazy. Yeah, he's he's got a he's got a pretty impressive resume. And uh, we, if you haven't heard part one, go back and check it out to kind of hear his backstory. But in this episode, we talk a little bit more about you know his creative process and how he goes about working on these uh, insanely. Like, do you think in-depth he knows projects. how to do operations on fish because of Shannon Larkin after filming it? Well, that's just uh, that's a little teaser of what you have to expect in the, in this episode. <laughs> it's just fish fish surgery, I'm confused fish surgery, and uh, all sorts of other fun things. So uh, we'll we'll get right into it. Here's part two with Jim Foster. Hello and welcome back to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza here as always with Siobhan and Ben. And we're so glad to welcome back our friend Jim Foster, music video director and and just video director in general and uh, founder of Red 13 Studios. Thank you for coming back. Also directs the neuroticguitarist.com. Soon Uh, to be loving the fast lane. Oh yeah! <laughs> Tell him about it, Benny. Tell him about it. <laughs> why don't Why don't you Why don't we give you the floor? Why don't you guys talk about the uh, the creation of the neurotic guitarist here? From my point of view, or from Ben's, because I Let's never get to speak. We only have an hour, so just yours. Yeah. <laughs> from my point of view, I I personally wanted to do something to fuck around with guitars because I'm not playing that much. But I, Ben can attest this is a weird love for old wood guitars like there's something about the wood it's just it's weird i we I, we respect wood it's a strange thing that so only people weird. who respect wood and jim listen jim and i talk in nothing but reverb listings sometimes any given day me and ben together probably burn four hours on reverb looking at the same bullshit unaware of each other for real but so i had this i just wanted to do it and i figured like I had this different person in mind and and I'm not saying like I created the idea. It really did fall together. Me and Ben together, like completely natural. But I I talked about this other person. I know that had a bunch of guitars and and his personality is kind of rough, but 
he doesn't get it at all. And it was like, that's just going to be a waste of my time. And the first time me and Ben just decided, like, fuck around, it was literally like an hour with a camera. We made 20 stupid videos that were like two minutes or whatever. But immediately it was like, all right, this really stinks. But the idea, the catalyst, like the the fuse that was lit is really cool and it does the thing that we both love but to even downplay some of those videos some of those first videos are still some of our best videos like kemper uh, who we love kemper uh they uh, posted our video and this is one of the very first videos we did which i'm still very proud of because I, I i agree with all the sentiment in it um it, it is it, as the video of the decade and I was like, are you shitting me? And then Jackson Guitars, like this is another thing, like again, you know, Jim and I aren't the greatest guitarists in the world. We always say it, you know, we don't play it the best. But like, when would Jackson Guitars give a shit about me? But they fucking posted me talking about the shit not even properly. And people were like, yay! And, and it's because Jim, and I appreciate this because he, he believed in me right from the beginning. He's like, this guy's a fucking mess. But if I could focus the mess in the right way, and then capture said mess, maybe people will want to watch it. And it's funny because if you do the statistics of who watches it, it's like only Jewish white guys from 38 to 40 years old, men <laughs> from like Hudson, Massachusetts. And it's like, oh, well, we know our fucking target audience. Well, yeah, because I appeal to me. And that's about it. <laughs> but to Ben's credit, like if you give Ben three minutes, he, he will tell a full story, a beginning, middle and end. He, he understands the arc when he bullshits like he might derail your conversation for no reason every once in a while. But when he means what he's saying, he's going to tell a story. And if you give him 20 minutes, well, he's going to do what a comic does, actually, and tell a story. And and by the end of it, tie it all together with the one final line. It's like the punchline. And he has a natural way of doing that. And I was like, well, nobody else can do that. And. And it is something you learn, you know, we're learning. We're just fucking around, to be honest. But the reality is, like, we get the cool things happen. Like, we have cool guitars. Ben, right now, today, dropped off Jason Becker's numbers guitar with Nina Strauss. You know, she's on tour and playing with Alice Cooper. Oh, I'm going to grab one. And, and <laughs> she's going to play the guitar. And Ben facilitated that. And, you know, that's actually epic. And it's going to, you know, it's going to turn a few heads. But that's just one thing. Like, I don't know what, what he's going to get, but we have a bunch of Les Paul's guitars in the other room. I was going to say, well, it's funny because, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about this one. This is one of the last Les Paul's that Les Paul actually used. And it's funny because what's well, not funny because I know what some people are thinking. Yeah, I changed the strings. I put the strings right here and it sits on top of my desk. But yeah, this is Les Paul's last gold top Les Paul with all the customizations and all the crazy shit. And it's gotten to a point where like, I don't want to say like we're spoiled and phased back to the phase thing, but like we are so lucky like to think that Jim and I get to be like, okay, so we're going to go shoot Alice Cooper. In fact, Live Nation's going to shoot Alice Cooper for us instead because it's COVID. And uh, Nina Strauss, one of the greatest living guitarists, is going to go on stage and just play the guitar. And uh, she's going to actually say something to the crowd for Jason. Because the thing is with Jason Becker, and, and, and so everyone understands with the neurotic guitarist, is we've raised help with the people that we're involved with help raise a lot of money but we now want to raise more of awareness and bring attention to the story and one of the things that Jason has made very clear is that he wants his guitars to continue to inspire and make music so like 
I have the funnest job now. It's like, can I call and see if I could get it on stage with Alice Cooper? And we did. Thanks to Steve fucking Wood. Our British ambassador, Steve Wood, calls Alice's manager immediately and then talks to Tomry Henriksen, like the one other guitar player that I, we didn't know. Not the, the not Ryan Roxy. The one not from Scotland, not Sweden or Sweden, Scotland, something like that. And he was like, well, this is right up Nita Strauss's alley as I knew it would be. And then Nina was like, yeah, tell him E flat. We'll play, I'll play any fucking song because she loves Jason Becker. Jason Becker loves her. We're just, it's a love fest. Did and she say that though? Did she say, yeah, tell him E flat? <laughs> yeah, she did. She said E flat. <laughs> All right, cool. So, but uh, now that I've got the, so but now you know cool little things are happening because there's there's like a uh you know if you wanted to go into that creative flow once you get a couple of people on something mentally you're starting to create things that never existed and if you understand like real creativity and like you know you can call it magic you can call you know you can bring up that shannon lock and devil shit or if you want that is something you can control and, 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 and guide. And, you know, if, if you're like-minded and you guys are on the same team and there's no bullshit involved, you can really do anything you want. It's really that simple. Like, look at the Beatles. That's, that's how I know this works. You know, you just got to surround yourself with the right people and completely and quickly eliminate the ones that fuck it up. Make sure Ringo Starr is the worst drummer in the band. Yeah, how good you are doesn't matter. It's your attitude and what you bring to the team. I, I really believe that. Yeah. No, because well, it's been a hard day's yeah. night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, no, that's great advice. And, uh, you know, uh, I want to continue talking about video and the creative process, but you're also obviously an entrepreneur in a lot of ways. You built a studio, you've hired people, you've known how to surround yourself with the right people. Um, is that something that you kind of always had an instinct for? Did you have, have any hard lessons to learn or, you know, how did you understand who to surround yourself with, how to find the right people? I, I feel like that's difficult. I mean, everything sounds easy the way you describe it. You know, everything sounds no. like it naturally, but no, it was really bad for a long time. It really was. But here's the way I kind of put it in for me. When I focus on music, I really, I, I feel like my creativity is such a high level. It's unbelievable. Like I'm floating and everything else in my life shits the bed. This is, I'm old enough to know the loop and how it works. I'm very happy making music. There's nothing honestly probably makes me happier. Everything else falls apart because I don't care about anything else when I'm writing and recording. I just don't care. And I don't want to stop and I don't want to answer the phone and I don't want to hear anyone's problems. And people in your life don't want to hear that. And I, you know, they shouldn't have to hear it, but that's what happens to me when I do music. I fucking love it. And I'm just in. So I really, I can't do it. So, but when I'm doing someone else's project, you know, I'll work. I don't mind working 20 hours in a day, but when it's done, it's done, you know, it's over. And that's a way different feeling. And it's, that's more about time management and being an adult to me, not necessarily as fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm still trying to figure out how to be an adult and manage my time. But so Jim, oh, I'm very curious about something because you told me at one point that Tommy Lee said that you made the best meatballs. So my first question is why have you never made me meatballs? And secondly, when did Tommy Lee judge your meatballs? And what, I guess, gives Tommy Lee the license to think that he should judge balls made of meat? That's three questions. Jesus. Where do I, that's a lot to unpack, Ben, as you get ripped. Um, <laughs> uh, 
a friend of mine's in the Motley Crue camp, Viggy, and uh, I actually met him through Godsmack doing some of these backplate videos or whatever. And every time the crew would come, this was for many, many years, every time the crew would come to town, Viggy wanted to be paid that original time I worked with him in meatballs because he's just fucking giant of a man. And uh, <laughs> he's just like one of those bald giant road dogs that you've seen on stage so many times before but ever since then it, the, the crew would come to town and be like yo big vig i i'm gonna i bring him a uh an igloo cooler with a giant container of meatballs some parmesan cheese a bottle of red hot and a whole bunch of those sub hoagie rolls and i i, I drop it off we shoot the shit for a little while he gives me my passes we go have a blast and you know then we hang out or whatever but this has happened forever and then uh yeah i know ben's looking at me like yeah so one time i i, I dropped my meatballs off for fucking paul and gene because they were playing with motley crew too kiss was uh playing with them so yeah paul and gene or Paul, at the very least, I know for a fact, enjoyed my meatballs. <laughs> I feel like that would be a Paul Stanley kind of thing to enjoy balls in his mouth. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Isn't it hotter than hell in here? Yeah, so that's the tale of the magic In your igloo. Meatballs. Cooler. <laughs> kind of a weird story. Oh, my God. <laughs> kind of a weird show. Yeah, yeah, it is a weird show. Well, and I, I wanted to ask, so in part one, we kind of went sort of all over your career path, but we've kind of left a hole. You sort of started how you, you, you told us how you got started and, you know, alluded to some of the bigger projects you've done recently. Uh, maybe we can fill in some of the middle. Um, you know, at what point did you kind of get uh, some of the bigger, more high profile projects in the, in the video world? Like, was there some, some thing that you did or a video you produced that kind of led to another really big thing? I, I'm curious about that path for you. Yeah, actually, it was pretty cool because a friend of mine, Dale Restigini, who is actually from Framingham, the town I'm in now, I was actually born in Framingham. He is a legend music video director. He's got billions of views. I think he's at four or five billion views right now. He does high level hip hop videos and and, and, and just insane amounts of uh, metal videos. But uh, randomly, he randomly, I forget how he got my number. He called me up. I'm going to be in Framingham doing an unearth video. I want to do it in your place. And it turned into me co-directing the unearth video with him because he had to run. So I ended up, you know, finishing it up for him after the shoot. And uh, th from there, he just started feeding me. I started writing treatments for some of the biggest videos in the world. I didn't necessarily get them, but doing that work at that level with all those people breathing down your neck, like, fucking crazy all the time it is endless it's so intense it's absolutely awesome but that i started making a bunch like uh that video that we had talked about that i made with ben in it that was a dale video uh rage uh and that kind of just hey, by the way just so everyone knows it has a, i want to say it's close to 20 million views just on that video so like i joke around but like it, it, jim and i just fucking around like it's 20 20 million views so yeah. like there's that so like you know whether you love him or hate him he's doing something <laughs> so you know that's that was the catalyst though it was rage this hip-hop director that's from my town he lives in la and jersey and uh he's just a badass and he's he been super supportive of me and he's he still is and it just was one of those little jump starts where uh 
actually come to think of it, it was he I, I wanted to meet him because I knew what he was doing. So I was pretty intense and in like sending him messages and just being like, you know, those little kiss ass things like hey, him in your top 10 in, on MySpace. I don't even know what the fuck that means. But <laughs> so after a while, though, he was just like, all right, kid, you know, what's going on? You got a space to film. And that kind of just started that off. But there were so many high level videos um, and, and, and I wrote for him. And, and did some a lot of editing and, and some shoots, um, but it was all all high levels, all you know stuff that was labeled stuff in A or B bands, and that went for a couple of years, and I just couldn't take it anymore because I, I wasn't the boss. You know, it's not that I care about being the boss, but I want to make sure things are done the way I want. I don't want my crew stressed out. I want everybody to have fun. Like there's like there's a thing that happens on my crew. Everybody's always happy. If they're not, we really did some fuck because I, I can't remember a shoot for the most part where everybody's not just having a blast because that's it's too easy to do that. You should be having fun. You're there for a reason. So without, you don't have to give any specifics, but can you give an example of the opposite of that and what, and the issues you had working on the other productions? Um, well, I worked with Ben knows a mutual friend of ours. I, I was kind of business partners in it and it kind of was a catalyst for me starting all this stuff. Um, we were doing some pretty cool stuff working with some high level bands, but the attitude was so, off-putting that i just i can't all right like the way i put it is like i have resting bitch face and i might come off like a twat but i'm not like inside i'm like this is really cool like yeah. so but, so when i come off when i come against like a real twat i can't i can't fuck off like i have no time for that so you know that partner of mine it just it was like boiling water and that's when i, I made firm decision like i'm not doing that anymore i'm not working with people who suck but like what 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 about the that process and, and doing the production was the issue? If you if you can't find it in yourself to get along with someone so they can do a better job for this small amount of time, then you're not the right so, guy. So for it's it, just you know? personality. It's yeah, it's all personality. Yeah. That's what I was going back to earlier. Like it doesn't matter if you're necessarily talented. If you like, I have some people on set that their Kamal, job is, dude, can we talk about Kamal? Because like, we have a guy. Vibe. His job is yeah, vibe. He makes Kamal, people happy. So let me know? let me tell you what it was like. So first off, Kamal. Uh, so we were shooting the Neuronic Guitarist, uh, our television show, which Jim has aptly and fucking brilliantly named "Love in the Fast Lane." And we went out to to, to Las Vegas to shoot the first episode, the pilot. And um, we stayed with Paul Geary and his house, uh, our friend Paul Geary, who's been on the show, you know, a manager extraordinaire. And, you know, he has some unbelievable stories and great guitars. And it was just a fucking great place. And while Jim and Kamal were in the air, we weren't going to like be an imposition where we're like, hey, can they stay at your house? Despite the fact he lives in a porn like mansion, like, but we weren't going to ask. And like, he's in the air. And he's like, wait. So Jim, Jim did the Godsmack thing, and then uh, oh Kamal. And the thing is, is that Kamal knows everybody. So while they were in air, Paul was like, "No, you gotta let them cancel your hotel room. Have them come stay here. Have them come stay here." And like Kamal walks in, and they have a, an adopted dog, that a rescue dog that like you know barks at everybody. And Kamal just walks in, and he's like, "I am friends with you, dog." And the dog like quiets down, like looks at him. And he like looks at the dog, and it's like licking his hand. And you're just like within like seconds, everyone's just totally at peace. The dog's at peace. I'm at peace. Like Paul, his wife Jean's just like, I don't know why. W who are you? And he's like, I love dogs. 
good vibe. That's just come on. And it doesn't even matter that he can fucking shoot like a goddamn Jedi. He literally is just like, all is well in this world. You can't be mad when you're in the room with him. Yeah, that's where we come from. Even though, but we'll also be like, hey, why don't you go fuck yourself? <laughs> so it's a fine line. You can, yeah. you know, but we have great crew and you know kamal's a great example because he's he works for some of the notoriously most difficult rock stars in the world and he doesn't unbelievable the people that seem to like him yeah like you have tom schultz from boston which look i love tom schultz he's a fucking hero of mine but he's notorious dare i say fastidious and like Kamal does something very technical and I feel like knowing Tom Schultz and how technical he is and how technical he's always been like how could he possibly work for this guy for a long time but Kamal's not only friends with him he's friends with his wife he takes like funny pictures like they're buds and it's like how and then like Godsmack you know, like, look I bet Sully he's like looked through my soul 16 times like he's not the easiest guy to get along with he's an amazing singer he shits out hits like I fucking God bless that guy Kamal is just like oh he's great he's he's awesome to me and he's just he flies my dog on private planes and but really and then Nuno I love fucking Nuno Nuno doesn't love me but then I sent him a picture of Nuno fucking playing he's like oh yeah when I was in Nuno's living room that's his living room I'm like I was just there Wednesday, and I'm like, how? All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Kamal is a wonderful man. But that's the essence of the crew. The the crew is designed to make the people in... In in the production at ease. That's the whole point. Because we're, you know, we're capturing stuff, but it only comes down to emotion, feelings, um, being comfortable or capturing shit that's real or you're wasting your time. Everybody knows when something's awkward or fake. So that's, you know, you gotta, you gotta blend in and that's what we do. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be so much of the art. And, you know, obviously I'm on, we're on the audio side for the most part, but it's the same thing. It's when you're being produced in the studio, if you, if you're being encouraged or you've got a good vibe or you're in the right headspace, you get a completely different product than if it's, stress and craziness or whatever you know so it's that's that's got to be a huge part of it too Mm, it's everything yeah imagine being imagine having a tough day on video while you're filming in the studio while they're having a tough day (laughs) oh my god (laughs) (laughs) i love i love um i love when um Anne Marie Siobhan's mom comes to the studio because she'll bring the dog and then one of my favorite quotes ever is like she was doing takes of something and we were layering things. And she's like, why won't you play a song all the way through? <laughs> and she's like, Mom, this is not how it works. And I'm like, I can understand why you might be stressed right now. And like, meanwhile, I have cats. So the dog, I guess, wasn't appreciated. I love, I love Pino super. And, the, and they actually surprisingly got along with the dog. So like Anne Marie was just like, I told you. And I'm like, this is not, that's not okay though. But she came down and she was just like, why aren't you doing, aren't, aren't you doing And like Siobhan, poor Siobhan was all stressed out. But if you're there, you wake up in the morning, give her some coffee. She has some, I have some coffee. We go downstairs. We wake up. She shits out excellence. Literally. She's just like, you'll be like, by one o'clock in the afternoon, she's like, are there any songs left on this record I need to do? And you're like, I guess not. <laughs> Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Great, great stories. Yeah. Well, <laughs> me, I of, can, oh, go ahead, Corey. Go, well, go ahead. One, one of the things that I wanted to get into on this this episode, and just just to kind of get a little more of a peek behind your creative process. Um, so when you get you know, approached for a project, 
can you kind of go through like let's just say like a music video um at, at a higher level uh like what is like step one uh through through the finished product for you and like what's what's an average time frame for something like that i'll get i'll talk about what just happened with the chris daughtry stuff because it's it's so fresh to me but um my producer who's glenn mungo who has mungo creative in manhattan um he has he's he's the drummer for lansdowne and my partner is the guitar player in lansdowne so we do a lot of cross you know jobbing whatever you want to say he was the producer on this and he called he said i just i just got a call from the label and they want you know a rock video they wanted to have a live situation he gave me the rundown of the video for this particular video there's no story so it made it kind of easy each each guy on my team has literally toured for years filming high level concerts so this whole idea was just like no brainer for us personally so we just went there we did some work with the 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 lighting director because he did an amazing job of programming the lights for the video which just made my job so much easier and then from that point though i mean imagine you're going to work with like a top 50 artist a dude that sold 10 million records and management tells you you get three hours with the entire band in the middle of the day you know what i'm saying like okay that's that's cool so as long as everyone's playing along that three hours is going to be intense and awesome and i don't care so and that's exactly what happened we had to end at five o'clock because they were opening doors i'm telling you the last take was done rolling at five o'clock and 15 seconds like it was unbelievable but from there um part of this video it it was a rush job the the song actually dropped on friday uh I don't know what world we're in here, Marvel Universe, as far as a couple days. weeks back. <laughs> yeah. So but the the song dropped on Friday, which was um, seven days. The, after. the Friday from Nuno's birthday. Yeah, exactly. Seven days after the shoot, which for a music video, and we were traveling um, and we had to get it to color the, our colorist in New York City. So that left, you know, I mean, saying that you have three days to edit a video at that level is like ridiculous and if, if and it was actually incredibly easy because the, everybody grabbed everything so in, it was so well captured that it wasn't really an issue but you know that's not typical a lot of times you'll have a, a, a bunch of lead up where you have to rework your story with the artist and you'll have to get different people involved on your team to do certain production bits so you know i have a few producers so there's a lot of different shit that's just going on constantly it's not there's no one way to do it really it's always a little different yeah and generally like so for you know like maybe more of like a narrative or storyline type of video uh do you always start with like a treatment or do, does the artist generally come in with with their idea or, you know, how, what's, what's the, the percentage of, the, of, you know, your vision versus the artist for a video like that? If the artist doesn't have a vision, I don't even want to do it. I really don't. Because how, how can an artist not know what they want? I just find that to be fucked. Do you run, do you run into that? Yeah. And, th and, and then that's, when, that's why when you go to YouTube and you'll see any, there's tons of great directors that have average videos out there because the artist wasn't driving them to be great or, or even more like they just didn't, 
how is someone going to put their heart into something they had no idea that they didn't envision? They couldn't go to bed and, and freak out over the night before. Like, that's all part of it. So I only like working with artists that truly almost to an annoying level want what they want and they're not going to settle for anything. I like that. They're pains in the asses, but I really like it because that team vibe and the, and the overall like always better always yeah but then can you blame them later like if it sucks you're like well yeah you told me to get that fucking angle and it's your fucking fault blame or doesn't do you work have to, it doesn't work yeah no you can't blame anyone in this business because ultimately the artists if something doesn't work they they take the hit and, and sure maybe the next time you won't get a job or something but there's the blame like you can't blame people you either own up to it and fix it or you don't do it again like that that's all there is you know yeah blame's tough (laughs) it is um what's the standard like uh edit look like for you um in terms of turnaround like what's your average kind of time i have two videos right now from an artist down in alabama that i i started over the summer and the first video took like almost a month to edit and then the second one probably took like three or four weeks but this is going back way back to what Siobhan was saying earlier, like time management, I might've only put in, you know, 16 hours on a certain week because I was just feeling it those 16. And I'm telling you, I'll just walk away if I'm not feeling it because I know I'm wasting my time and I'm just going to, you know, and then there's magic times where I'll do a whole bunch of work and I completely in such a zone that I come back the next time. I'm like, how the fuck did that get done? <laughs> like, I don't even remember doing it. And that's amazing. You know? Yeah, I totally relate to that. So if there's an instance where you're not feeling it, what do you do? Because I think for me, that's a hard thing to deal with, where it's like, I know that I have to get something done by a certain time and I'm just really struggling through. I have this available block of hours and I'm not coming up with anything. How, how do you deal with that? Is there something you do to help spark the creativity or how do you, yeah. How do you manage that? Well, luckily I'll probably have something waiting that I will be feeling, you know, hmm. as, as a general rule, there's enough I'll, I'll have, um, you know, because I'm doing media for my company as well, I'll have like photos or, or internal videos I have to put out. I'll have six music video clients. I'll have some like branding clients and it's, all of them need a little bit of time and they're all so different that you know i there's enough variation yeah you can something else yeah you can have a death metal video and then like a and then like a tom brady sneaker commercial you know what i mean like they're not the same they take a different headspace so what about like like deadlines like does that is that a motivator for you like if you can't step away like are you able to say fuck it's got to get done you know it's got to get done got to get done i will never stop until it's done ever like and until i know that let's say I, if i know i have eight hours tomorrow i will not stop until i know i have eight hours of work that i could finish in that eight hours because the deadline's everything to me i don't know why it's the only thing that stresses me out <laughs> fucking hate that <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking great that's great dude so l- let me ask you this when did you learn how to sing like an angel because I guess I never pictured it, but like, so again, I judge a lot of people by the music they don't release, but Jim sings cover songs really high level. In fact, he does some holy territory. You, you sent me season, uh, seasons of wither 
by Aerosmith and you do a Steven Tyler that's so convincing that if you had told me it was like an actual bootleg of Aerosmith other than the fact that like it's not as good as Aerosmith like I would be like that's fucking right and then you sent me uh, Fleetwood Mac and I'm like holy shit this sounds fucking right on when did you realize that you were like a vocal chameleon well I'm a vocal coach I'm a vocal producer I can bleh, and then no, and I'll I'll do whatever it takes to make bleh sound right. So you <laughs> you you don't see me on the on the stage at the TD Garden singing Aerosmith songs because it's not the same. Like I can make myself sound any way I want, just like anybody can. But it's a whole nother thing to stand there in front of people and actually kill it like that. You know, that's true. Yeah, that's fucking that's that, that's true. But that's a really interesting skill to be able to hear because because you, you alluded to something because you said anyone can. But not really. There are a lot of people who try to sing all their lives who can't sing. Nevertheless, like nail early 70s Steven Tyler tone like you actually do. Like I, I give you credit. I, I think I even uh, I forget. I think I had played it for Paul Geary or something. And, and he was like, wow, like surprised that like it actually sound sounded as authentic. And I think it's very interesting, especially as a producer, because I feel like the more you learn how to hear, the more you figure out how to replicate it yourself. So it's like the same thing, like with my guitar tone, I could never play like Van Halen, but I can make my rhythm guitar for a second sound like Van Halen. And I feel like that's the skill. Do you, do you feel like, but you say everyone can do it. So you think anyone could learn how to sing like Steven Tyler if you just try to bleh enough? Yeah, I do. Because that's not like <laughs> singing like Freddie Mercury. You know what I mean? And, and no, obviously I'm being a little facetious, but you know, Steven Tyler is dream on dude. He has a sound in his voice. It's not necessarily some f magical thing. He's born with that. Like that's his sound. So there's nothing he can do about it. That's just the way he sings. So being Steven Tyler is no big deal. And and if you want to copy him, it's like one of those weird comedian dudes that like copies fucking people's voices. It's the same skill. It's just a, it's it's a it's it's being able to jump over. It's like that guy really in high. Journey. What guy? The guy keyboard from like on the wall. Tha no, the guy from like Thailand or wherever. The fuck oh, yeah, from, exactly. From Journey. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, if you close your eyes, it's like, you know, it's open Steve arms. Perry. It's like yeah. Steve Perry. But, but but if you open your eyes, you're like, hey, what the fuck? What it is like, like <laughs> it's it's really weird. It's like a deselect demo. It's like, it looks like minute. there was this a wax. Not... It was a wax Steve Perry that somebody put over near the heater. Like oh, it things out right. <laughs> Steve Cherry. Yeah. But yeah, kind of like some people are adept at copying. But to go back to what Benny said earlier, like, he mentioned like copying Van Halen. Fuck that. Like there is a certain when Ben plays guitar, there's a Ben way that anyone that knows his playing will be like, oh, that's a Ben way. Like I, I go Corey for that. Knows. I go for that. Like I, I consider myself pretty bad. But when I'm playing with the band, like I got my shit together, like my groove is there. So I'm, I'm totally confident with that. That's my way. I'm not copying anybody. That's the important stuff. That really is. Who cares if, like I said it for the 10th time, but who cares if you suck as long as you're cool doing it? You know? <laughs> I mean, like Jimmy Page has been riding that to the bank for years, right? Absolutely. Everyone's like, boo, cancel him. Cancel him. What? <laughs> Jimmy Page is the hackiest guitarist since Alex Lyson. All right, we're done. 
We're done. Well, well, speaking of having a voice, let's let's take it back to the video realm. You know, what do you consider kind of your voice or your aesthetic when it comes to your videos? Is there something that's consistent across all projects, whether it's a style or an angle? And I, I apologize that I don't know enough about videography, but is there something that's kind of your signature when it comes to the projects you do in the video side? Um. <sighs> I mean, if you're looking at all the videos, a lot of them tend to be vibrant and poppy and like sharp or whatever. Uh, there's a lot of funky colors. I, I don't know. Really, that's not really on purpose. I guess that's like if you look at some of my metal stuff, there's even the same weird colors in it. So I don't know. I really I guess it's like I like modern poppy aesthetic, but I also like dirty camera work and and, and I love modern uh, the stuff that that's very modern, like modern B roll and all these things that the kids are doing now. I fucking love it. So I try to put all those little things in there too, but you, it, it's weird. It's almost like being an old guy, like wearing like the Adidas jumpsuit to the, to the to, you know what I mean? It's like, there's something about it. Like, it's like a little disingenuous, but overall I just want to be like crystal clear and poppy. I kind of like, that modern look you know so you mentioned the modern look like what are you doing uh for inspiration like where are you finding inspiration for different uh you know ideas and ways to stay current are you just watching whatever's you know the top in the charts at that moment you played me a badass ramshine video the other day that oh, was fucking shit. ridiculous dude can we talk about that i can't even i honestly if you want to talk about that to me i played him uh, ramstein's deutschland video it's the fucking greatest music video have ever you seen made. that Corey? It's on fucking real. I, I absolutely beg of you of, of your time after this to just to take the nine minutes and 37 seconds because it's that long because the credits are still better. The credits for this video are better than any video you've seen. From yeah, other band. it's unbelievable. I mean, I'm, if, if it's it, it is a movie. They made 300 into a music video and then they expanded on it so hard. It's it's just fucking incredible. But yeah, good call on that one. That That's a great way to put it. Like, I love that video so much that if I could, as far as music videos go, if I could rip that music video off every time with that production and stuff, I would be so happy. Yeah. Well, because the thing is with that Rammstein video, as everyone knows, it's it's beautifully shot. It's shot in a super wide aspect rate ratio where uh, so people know like when your film is thinner with the black lines, like you see all those Star Wars films and you're like, I want it thinner than George Lucas. That's like the Rammstein video. So it's already really thin. So it looks like it's professional. And, but the thing is, is that they go and you don't know if it's done on a green screen, if it's done with a set. Uh, and it's like constantly going from so many different techniques, but it's beautiful shot but the subject matter is so poignant yeah. that you don't even have to understand german which to know what they mean with the song which is very very powerful video because like the like the subject matter is it's it's offensive to a lot of people but like they're making a very powerful statement but the other thing is too is that rammstein is perfect music that they're example that you could really do anything that looks awesome to their music and it's going to be fucking badass because their production is so ridiculous that you could just have like explosions in time and it would be like this is the best video ever yeah if you have an aesthetic and you have a great storyline and you have a daring band or artist who's willing to do wild shit but not be stupid about it then you're you you got something you know you you could very well have magic but that video to me i mean i that sums it up that's like the greatest to me it's not really a music video though it's a fucking movie it mm. is yeah how about thriller is that a music video or is that a movie 
Yeah, it's a movie. I think it's a movie. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's corny as shit, but it's cool at the time. <laughs> well, it was it always number two on MTV. Number two. It was never number one. What was always number one? It, well, I mean, because Kurt Cobain killed himself, it was like it was smells like teen spirit for a few years. I mean, it changes because like every t- like everything that you see, like the greatest guitars of all time, and then all of a sudden it's like Saint Vincent. Which, by the way, I love Saint Vincent, so like, like she should be on a list. I made that up, but like uh, it always changes. So like, how does it go from like Eddie Van Halen when he's dead to fucking Kurt Cobain when he's dead to like? You know, it's just it, it, every year. It's, and, and that's an opinion anyway. It's just subjective. So, like, I don't give a flying fuck what anyone thinks anyway. Like, it will always be Ingve Malmsteen's the greatest guitarist ever. So, like, that's just the end of the story. <laughs> well, Jim, <sighs> uh, let's, let, Jim, let's get back to you. So, when what, what is the ideal project for you? Like, what what is your absolute favorite thing to work on? Because obviously you have a huge variety of projects that you do all the time. What, what What's kind of your preference at the moment? I like being on set, but I I have a lot of uh, reality TV things going on right now. And for some reason, that's pretty exciting. It's cool to uh, it's cool to envision an entire scenario and put, you know, all these little bits together. It's even better when you have people that want to play into those creatively and, and make little bits with it. For some reason right now, reality TV is really working multi-camera story based. Um, yeah. What's your hard drive budget for those? Like how much footage do you have on? <laughs> I, I had to go buy a hard drive today. It, that <laughs> it never stops. It's really actually it's, I feel well, it's like it's not even just about the hard drive space because you get a 14 terabyte for 260 bucks at Best Buy. It's about the speed now. It's about the about fact that. like like what you're sitting, what you're sitting, well, because you know time is money, right? So what Jim's trying to transfer files from the A7 Mark 17 that we have, right? And he's like, we got the super fast card, but then you're limited by a 5400 spinner. He's like, dude, why do you have the SSD? And then it's like, if you look at a 14 terabyte SSD, first off, it doesn't exist. Secondly, like a four terabyte is like eight thousand dollars. You're like why and it's because it's this small and it goes like boop done bye yeah there's a i have hundreds of hard drives yeah for sure i really do oh my so god on a, on a project like that especially like you know you mentioned doing like the, like the godsmack reality show where you're shooting over months and months what's the like organizational process on something like that it's fucking incredible it's so incredible because when you have you'll have two or three shooters going through two or three cards with a card for three or four or five or six lavaliers and you might have four locations in a day and you have to at the you can't do it then you have to do it all at the end of the day and then you have to wake up extra early make sure those cards are cleared those batteries are charged and you're ready to like run around in like for for Godsmack, it it was in Southern Florida. I mean, it's a hundred degrees every day. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. So like, and th- this you know, this might just be because I you know I do video and I'm familiar just with the the just the storage for Lost Symphony alone and all the footage we got you know in studio is more than I ever want to deal with again. So this is why I'm like fascinated by this. When you are you know dumping your footage at the end of the day, like. Are you, do you already have notes on the files that you need to access or like if something happened that was interesting, like, or is that something you have to sort through on the back end? Uh, <coughs> like, how do you organize that? 
All right. I actually I I'm not joking when I say I actually keep that in my mind, but I think that's terrible because who's going to pick up that if I'm not around to fix it, you know? So that's terrible, but I do a lot of frame IO. Have you ever used that? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yep. So all, all the work is going back and forth on frame IO, all the notes um, even projects I'm loading on yeah, frame. For, tho- for those of you that anyone listening or watching, it's, it's basically like, <laughs> it's kind of like, a uh, I don't know, not because a cloud base, like you can share information on a project and make notes and, and story, you can do like uh, storyboarding and things like that. And all, you know, you probably, you've used it probably more in depth than I have, but if you want to just like, just for anyone listening, it's just a way to organize video production assets. wait why aren't you using your iphone like kirk hammett where you can just like get all your riffs in one place i am i'm using frame io on my iphone but so but it uploads files five times quicker it's like a ftp or whatever also so you know if i have 200 gig at the end of a day and i really got to put it there because someone's got to get it in another place that's kind of how i manage it and then from there any changes that get made we'll just we'll throw our um Adobe project files, our, our premier project files in there, and we share those. We can't do that unless everybody has all the same plugins and same programs, which we're lucky that they do. But so that's that's kind of how we facilitate teams doing bigger things, you know. So let me ask you about reality. So filming a reality show, maybe we can use the Godsmack uh, example. Of how how much directing are you like? Like, what is the storyboarding process like for that? Because this is obviously kind of like a long format thing and things might be changing if it's reality TV. How do you kind of project where you want it to go? Or is there any level of coaching involved and, you know, getting certain scenarios to happen. I, I'm just kind of curious about the behind the scenes of, of reality TV. What's that like? Well, with the crew, we make everything a process that's repeated. It's just, these are like the way Sally would put it. It's like film one one Don't make me fucking say it again. <laughs> so once, once the process is there, once it's done, like don't deviate unless the situation makes you. So, you know, if we're going to use Godsmack for a thing, nobody directs Sully. Sully is directing everything because that's he's first of all, he's, he's really fucking smart. He's got a real great way of like compartmentalizing what's going to happen and, and how it should be pieced together. But that said, like his personality, he's, he's just going to be the boss period. So you just learn like, all right, but his ideas are so awesome that you just, at that point you help him keep them on track so you know and and then on a day where it wouldn't be sully you know then we go through our normal directing of like all right we're going to go meet with shannon what's going on with shannon today oh shannon's performing surgery on a fish he's what so then you know <laughs> like what is it's not even far-fetched <laughs> that's, that's so believable like oh it's absolutely God. the truth I love him. so i love shannon so much man so that that greatest. is that's the literal truth but then you say hey all right if that story is with shannon what you know how can we have a beginning middle and end and tie that off and then you know you have to create the scenarios and have them fall into it and you know, I'm not going to bullshit. Like if something funny happens. Hold on a second. I'm thinking about Hold this. On, okay, wait, before, Shannon, before wait, Ben wait interrupts, so finish what you're saying. Uh, you know, if some, if we can make something better, like if something happened, and it, but it was a catalyst for like, ha, 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 that was awesome. Do it again. There's no like, there's no, you'll usually get it better the second time. And it's not like, 
it's not like it's 1972 and you're in Steely Dan and you're a fucking loser if you didn't play that drum all the way through. <laughs> it's not like that anymore. Yeah. You know, we're not at that level. So that's that's kind of what I wanted to say is like, you know, that's when you go direct. That's when you think of the future. That's when you make sure the story is being told before you shut it down. Cool. Sorry, Ben. You can go ahead. Just want to get that thought out. Well, I had a very interesting question based on what you were saying. So Shannon performed surgery on a fish. Did he do that? Because of timing, out of economic need, because there was no veterinarian that could handle a fish with the problem it had, or is a veterinarian the right term for fish? Like, how is Shannon performing surgery? Why? Why is it him? I can tell you, he didn't take it lightly. It's not like he was trying to be a no, jackass. I know. I'm just saying, was he the one that was like, because he's like, dude, nobody knows how to deal with this type I of koi fish just, in this part of the world. Right, right. He researched the fuck out of it. He wanted to save his fish. It was attacked by a bobcat. And it just so happened. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sorry. Yeah. Don't mean to laugh. That's yeah. fucking horrible. It is. And he loves his fishes and turtles, as you know. It's not a joke. Like, he fucking No, no, he loves fucking them. loves them, dude. It's it's unbelievable. And I God yeah. bless him. So, you know, if, if you're going to do that, and you might as well film it. <laughs> that's a did great, the fish great survive point. yeah absolutely yeah yeah so he saved the fish you, you, gotta, fucking... you gotta tune in to find out <laughs> oh my fucking I god can't see this wow is it are you, are you allowed to say when this is coming I, out or? you know what at this point it's all it's all about being shopped and we don't know where it goes from here sure. you know so again i judge jim on all the things he doesn't release yeah <laughs> coming full circle it may never even come out Sully might just to say you know what today my favorite color is green and so move on it's, a, it's actually it's a good point right. that you know in the music industry and and on the tv side there's so many projects that just never see the light of day for you know the tip of the iceberg is the stuff you see on tv everything below the water is the stuff that people put hours and, and months and years into that never see the light of day um can you talk, you know, at least generally about what goes on after you, you know, wrap shooting on a project like that? Like, what is the process to try to get anything uh, to be put in front of people? It's a constant battle with the producer to get time with the manager or the artist. And, you know, I'm lucky if I get into some of those calls, but the producer is really the boots on the ground guy. That's he's literally waiting. We're giving our assets to the label. And then the producer or, or myself, we're waiting for those assets to be approved and given back to us so we can share them, you know, because that's, that's the job, right? Like you do a video, like whatever you did in the last three months was nonsense. Putting out that video for that day is how you promote your company or whatever. That's where we're at here. So that's kind of, that's a lot of work. I have, I Ben, did I tell you the other day? I told someone the other day, I've been paid to delete a video. Yeah. They paid me a thousand dollars to fucking make sure I put it in the bin and hit delete. It was a, it was a, <laughs> it was a metal blade band too. It was like, it was, and I, and to be did honest, you, did you save a copy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's not that bad. I'm like, fuck, I can't show anybody this. That's funny. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love actually. So Corey and I, sometimes we've moonlit in, in like a wedding, like band, like duo trio. And 
There's been so many times we've gotten paid to literally just sit there and do nothing. And then Corey gets mad because he holds himself to a high standard because he's like, well, we're being paid a lot of money right now. And I'm like, I'm just playing the same chords. He's like, I know you've missed every. I don't know. You have severely misunderstood my. (laughs) I am happy to get paid to do jack shit. Uh, <laughs> one of my be, favorite nights was you, the fact that you that you refuse to play more than one song for 27 minutes because you don't, don't want to change the chord another song. <laughs> I I'm don't just, want it. I'm just bored. That's that's all I'm complaining about. <laughs> You're bored about making money. Bored about playing, I'm bored about we, playing we play- Canon and D for 27 minutes. That's what oh I'm bored gosh, about. That sounds like my bro. <laughs> have you ever fucking watched The Grateful Dead? They go fucking no. hour with space sounds, just for the Sounds drum awful. Set. I never would. I'm with Corey. I wouldn't listen to that shit. But part of your part of your problem is even knowing what the fuck Canon and D is. So you're gonna have, you know, they you're gonna. Have- and they don't care, and none of them listen, and you can literally play the same note the whole time. And all they go is, "Hey, was that the guy earlier giving us hors d'oeuvres? No, that was the guy playing piano. Oh, that's the DJ. They don't even fucking know what I do. Like nobody remembers that, but they'll remember that I played like Cardi B." Terrible. the life of a dj <laughs> yeah it's awful and not to mention you didn't make one of those songs you're playing but you're taking all the credit i love that shit none well no when i play piano for people i literally deliberately tell them i play whatever i want whenever i want whatever i want and no one's ever complained and if you have a problem with that don't hire me and literally no one had other than Corey, has ever complained i've heard ben say that before actually Sounds about right. It's it's true though. We've I've never the band has never gotten a bad review ever. True. Ever. What's also funny is I've never complained unless I've been with Ben. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing, but but Corey makes money to do literally less other than but it's just as frustrating for him. I used to ask him to come be my my assistant, but he's way outgrown that. So he's just like he's so happy. But we're do actually Corey, we get to do an hour in Newport. For a, for a cocktail hour, so just just so you yeah, know, when, it's gonna when be was that wedding booked like four years ago. Like, yeah, I know because co- <laughs> hashtag COVID. Um, uh, the set list is um, perfect by Ed Sheeran and Cannon and D for an hour. Good. Sounds great. And maybe Can't we'll wait. play some Amy Amy Winehouse. What's the name of that stupid song? What's the Amy Winehouse which, song which we play? One, which one do you want it to be? You no, guys I'm are way one, too highbrow for me. High what's, the, what's the one that we play all the time? Valerie. Valerie, Valerie's the same six chord, f- three chords over and over and over. And like, dude, it, they're beautiful chords and you can just play in for people. And as long as you just look at them, they're like, oh yeah, this tuna tartare is delicious. And Corey thinks there has to be more to it. It's like, dude, it's not about us being bored. It's about them not knowing that we're bored. Hey, Ben, can we get back to me? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we do. Oh, shit. <gasps> Siobhan's like, I'm done. Siobhan. Uh, Siobhan's uh, like, nah, nope, I'm out. <laughs> Oh man, computer crashed. She's trying to get back on. She'll be back shortly. She's try- so, so I, I have well, a question. Listen, we Jim. do only have to, Ben. You can go, but we only have about ten minutes left. So just a heads up. Well, I was gonna I, I was gonna ask Jim an important question. So so Jim, what? In, so you've obviously been a musician. You've been a, a producer or director. Like you, you've worn many hats. What excites you now? Because like I know, even at the beginning of the neurotic guitarist, we were even us both. We have an excitement for wood, as we've said jokingly. But like we really do, we're excited about guitars. But like even then, like because I feel like we've already done so much with what we're doing that like I'm almost not as excited as I was. How do you stay excited and engaged like when you're doing things at such a high level? 
you know this because you do the same thing. It's about the future. Like the, the thing that makes you get out of bed tomorrow is, oh, I set myself up for some badass yesterday. That's it. That's that's literally it. Tomorrow is going to be awesome because there is some like just talking on, on your level. We're doing a documentary with Les Paul and, and all these not with Les Paul, but about Les Paul and some of these incredible things that have unearthed themselves with us. You know, it's effortless. And that's how I know it's right. That's how I know it's you know we should well, be I felt, well the first thing is i called you and i felt obligated that we had to do it because just for the sake of history so like that was really cool because you know it's always interesting when you could do something out of a need and the fact is like we actually encountered some history from les paul and upon talking to the people who kind of were like you know the gatekeepers to it um it hadn't been archived and they didn't really fully understand it and although they had enough knowledge to be dangerous they they were dangerous enough to not necessarily know like what they had and but I, that's I, but listen, that's the thing. So once you knocked on that door, universally speaking, you can't close that door. So now you got to see it through. That's really exciting. Knowing that, you know, there's a, a Jimmy Page, Les Paul, that's going to be, you know, and in, in the scene, like an actual guitar, Jimmy Page's guitar, little shit like that. Like knowing that there's another job coming up in two weeks. That's like it's dope. That's the stuff that's knowing there's an Eddie Van Halen guitar waiting for us. It has a 26 inch scale. That's only one inch different than the Buckethead guitar. And you go, Eddie Van Halen played a guitar that big. I have to know. Well, that well, if you have to know that bad, then that's awesome. You're going to wake up tomorrow hoping to find out, you know, and that's kind of where Good I'm morning, at. San Diego. <laughs> that's where it is. We're going to go see it. Anyway, anyway, Siobhan, that we were talking about, you know, I guess what drives you to do the next thing or whatever. And we're just talking about like, it's the future. It's what you set up today. So you can have something dope tomorrow to do. That's kind yeah, of, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that. Yeah. I completely relate to that. I, I feel Is that like, why you use a Blackberry Siobhan. <laughs> I did once use a Blackberry and I'm sorry. Yeah. My computer decided to take a shit and crash completely. So I've Wait, no I thought you were on your Blackberry trying to zoom. I, honestly, I would, if I could get a Blackberry, I would go back and get one. I loved my Blackberry, but no, I to go back to what Jim was saying. Yeah. I, I feel like that's a huge, even for me, I'm sure you guys all relate to it too. It's yeah. Constantly having that other thing that you're working on that will turn into the next thing. It's like always being a few steps ahead and, you know, having a variety of projects and not ever getting settled in just one thing. It's that, that's what drives me for sure. If I, if I get just one thing and that's it, I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> I but it, it's up to you it. at this point. You you're allowed to say no to the things that aren't going to excite you now. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Uh, do you want to do that? No. Are you gonna? No, I'm not gonna. It's like, yeah. a beautiful thing. The word yeah, no. Really. And then you say yes, and then you're like, wow, the show is number one in the world. It won an Emmy, really? Like, and everyone's telling you this. You're like, oh, I just was just somebody's apartment once. Like, I don't know. It was just a night. And you're like, oh, but it's Emmy award winning. Well, one thing I'm thankful for, though, I, I think I have a pretty good instinct. You know, I get a vibe from people. And if it seems like something that's cool and the person's cool and I, I like, like how they flying across the country to meet me for the first time without yeah, ever but, seeing me in person. But, I, but that, that that was a choice that I made because I thought you were cool. And I think you're super creative and smart and intelligent. And yeah, I, same with everybody here. Go you know? on. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but do you know for the rest of your life, though, you will literally be saying, you know, Emmy award-winning yeah that's that is a part of your life now <laughs> yeah like like when um when i worked on that pod satellite record that was nominated for grammy so now even 
Man, I was a Pro Tools editor, but Grammy nominated Pro Tools. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So, so that's how this game works, obviously. But Siobhan has so many accomplishments. She's like, but I was already an equestrian by seven. I was a chess master by nine. I knew eight languages by 13. Why would I care about that, Jim? An Emmy? That's so pedestrian. Jim was it's about gen to give pop. That phenomenal piece of advice, and you just polluted that whole thing. <laughs> I knew yeah. note it. I curb yeah. stomped it like American History X. Well, you can go on if you're able to recover from that. I don't even know. <laughs> no, but that's, you know, those are the little to kind of recap. Those are the things we go for. I think if, if you can, you can. I'm not knocking people who work at a bank or whatever, but you can do that. It'd be wonderful. But oh, or you can so wake mad. up. Fuck Paul. Or you can wake up. <laughs> or you can wake up and be like, Jesus Christ, how can I get in touch with Axel Rose today? And I want, you know, that's like you. It's a mentality, you know. That's it. Yeah. Once again, thanks for kind of hanging with us and sharing, you know, your story and what you've been up to. It's it's fascinating. It's always good to see people, especially you know, people we know and people from this area that are killing it. Um, so we're going to continue to follow you and see what you're doing. We look forward to seeing uh, the stuff you have coming out. Obviously, keep keep us informed, and we'll be happy to post and share with our seven to nine listeners and viewers. And um, Siobhan, you and Brock need to come on the Neurotic Guitarist. Like that's a yeah. thing. So yeah, like totally Brock would be great. I mean, Brock is a super guitar well, nerd and gear and everything. But, he will but hold on. This. Explain this because I've said like I've tried to explain this. Brock and I together is just a funny thing. Because first off, Brock's like six foot nine and <laughs> that with his spiky hair, like with his hair all spiked up or whatever. And he's like this really nice Midwestern even keel, even tempo, very relaxed. And I'm just like, you know, I make coffee nervous and like definitely the first 10 times he met me which is like i don't understand this guy's energy but like <laughs> he and i together would be hysterical and then you and cindy it just it i just feel like you're both like it's just so it would be hilarious and then we have to have Anne marie because oh, yeah. Anne marie and pino like if pino's not peeing on the carpet it's not a show oh god there always has to be drama that's for sure it'd be oh, great Anne marie really, really, you can say her name we look forward this to week with Anne Marie. <laughs> <laughs> Check out red13studios.com uh, and Jim, any other places people should find you where, where can they, just, they go there to hire you any other social media uh, yeah don't go anywhere to hire me don't hire me <laughs> uh Jim hire, hire your studio yeah yeah and your uh, producers yeah you can hit up you can connect with red 13 if you need a video or you want to uh, record or anything honestly we do marketing bullshit too it never stops yeah yeah man that's it that's it <laughs> the neurotguitarist.com jim we've been working hard on that yeah yes benny back to me okay back to me <laughs> exactly He's but that is you there we go. all right oh. well once again appreciate your time Check out 2020-d.com. If you didn't see part one for some reason, I don't know why you're watching part two, but go back and check out part one with Jim Foster. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode 101 featuring Jimmy Bell of Autograph. Check it out. Uh, so anyway, I do my audition with Ozzy. Ozzy comes on uh, the next day. Ozzy comes in. We, we uh, change uh, studios and we go to a big studio. It had a massive stage on it. And uh, 
I did uh, five songs, including a guitar solo. And I sit down with them after, and they said, uh, well, Jimmy, here's the deal. It's between you and Zach. And, you know, if they didn't like me, they didn't have to say, you know, say that. But they said, it's between you and Zach. And they took me out to dinner at this really exclusive place. I went back to Ozzy's Bungalow. Then Brandy Castile took me to uh, the Troubadour. It was just one, an amazing uh, experience. Uh, but then I was on a plane on, on the plane home the next day and This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series about how they died, why they died. And while we're still talking about them so long after... It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments. The ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.